You're listening to Finding My Own Weird, where we'll follow yours truly on a journey to discover my own authentic weird self. I'm your host, Christine Lassiter. Joining me will be amazing guests who found their own formula and are living and thriving as their own wonderfully weird selves. So hold on tight. It's about to get weird. Did you ever watch those YouTube videos of the colorblind people putting on those special glasses for the first time? You know what I'm talking about. The videos that make you ugly cry. You can feel the first time they see that vibrant color and the world instantly changes around them. That's how I felt the first time I visited Portland. It was a spring and there was just blooms of flowers everywhere. Flowers I'd never even seen before. Color everywhere. The nature on houses, art on buildings, and even in the people. Well, in that same trip, I was coming out of Voodoo Donuts, as a tourist typically does, and I had my little pink box, and I turned the corner and I saw this three-foot-six man. He was dressed all in grunge black with black eyeliner and jet black long hair. No doubt a character. And he was a piece of that fabric of that first visit. That visit was when I decided I needed more color, I needed more vibrancy, and I needed more weird in my life. Now, about seven years later, I'm sitting down with that character, performer, artist, Nick Sin. Well, welcome, Nick. Thank you so much for being here. Happy I appreciate Christine. it. Thank you for kidnapping me for today. I, yeah, literally just picked you up across from the haunted church. That <laughs> Just uh, follow me on Facebook after stalking me outside of Voodoo Donut. You know, but that's how I do things. That's how friends are made. But it'll be a good friendship, too, I think. <laughs> I believe so. Well, um, so... Man, just looking at your bio and everything, you have done some pretty interesting things over your years. I mean, you've been on Jerry Springer, you've been on The Maury Show, you've um, you've done DJing and emceeing and art. You've done a ton of really awesome, bizarre, cool things. But I kind of want to talk about how how Nick started, you know. You weren't always this... Devish, devilishly handsome Marilyn Manson impersonator. And oh, that, that was that him. too, yeah. <laughs> um, so Once I was allowed to grow my hair out, I think that's when it started. <laughs> um, so yeah, I grew up in a small town in Massachusetts. And when you say you grow up in Massachusetts, everybody just says you're from Boston. So I just always said I was from Boston. Yeah, but uh, I grew up in a small town, kind of blue collar. And uh, obviously... I was the only little person, PG, we're going to be PG for now, a uh, <laughs> little person that I knew up until, I would say, high school. And, um, you know, so I always just tried to do what I thought was normal, normal, which is basically play sports and try to fit in with, you know, just the average running milk kids because, you know, you're already weird. You don't want to be even weirder. So I played football, I wrestled, and then not until I think my sophomore, late into my sophomore year, that I went to an after-school theater thing, and I volunteered to help with the uh, backdrops of the musical, spring musical, whatever you call them, and the director, director of the play looked at me and she just had this big grin on her face and I, I didn't know why. I just thought she was happy that somebody was volunteering to do do the crap work. 
which is paint the backdrops and get dirty. And uh, a couple days later, there was a casting list. And my name was on the cast list, even though I never auditioned. So that's what kind of really broke me into what was more comfortable for me and finding what I was comfortable with because obviously I was not the star quarterback. I was not the biggest wrestler on the team. I was getting to be myself on stage. So um, that kind of broke me in. And eventually by my senior year, I stopped doing the things I thought I was supposed to do and was more focused on that. And I became the guy who's it became the kid who skipped class and hung out and, you know, we had a six pack between five guys in the back of a car, but turned into that. So and I was, that's what I was like, oh, this is what I'm better at. I'm better at being myself on stage and hanging out with people that the guys that are hiding behind the school in the alley, smoking cigarettes and and not giving a fuck. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is, well, you know, it was like an episode of Freaks and Geeks or something like that. It was, I found my misfits. So do you remember the name of the play that, that she put you in, that first one? The original one, uh, this was a lady that was very eccentric. She wanted, um, she was basically like a dance mom. Oh. <laughs> she was great. She was great. But uh, when you think of a high school play, you think of, la-di-da, let's all be happy and dance around type of shit. No, she was set out to do, like, basically Broadway-style shows with a high school cast. So uh, first, the first play I did was ti Titanic. I was in theater. That's yeah. not your normal, like, yeah, that's not your normal high school theater. <laughs> let's, put, let's put some uh, plastic flowers up and... A, a well and have everybody sing along to let's be happy and fun. And the second play I did was Les Mis. Oh, yeah. So everybody dies. Right. <laughs> so basically that's the place we did. Everybody dies. So it's really good at dying. So yeah, it was always that. And so as soon as I got out of high school, you naturally think I got to go to college. And unfortunately I decided not to audition or put myself towards a arts college. I wanted to go for psychology, which I don't know why the fuck I did that. I lasted maybe four months. And after four months, I was uh, fortunate enough to know how to use the internet in the beginning of the social media days, which was MySpace, and track down Minikiss, which was a all kiss a little people kiss tribute band. And my parents were bugging me because I just dropped out of college. And they're like, well, we got to go play at the grocery store just like all the other kids that dropped out. <laughs> we got to go mow lawns or do whatever. And uh, I hooked up with the guys from Minikiss. And, you know, this is the AOL.com days and MySpace days and sent an audition tape which was literally a VHS tape that I borrowed from my neighbor and uh, sent it off. And about a week later, I had a flight to L.A. Oh, wow. So, yeah, um, I went from my parents bugging me about, you know, going to get a, a job job to uh, having a flight to L.A. And it was 
you know, going from high school theater to here's a, here's a actual paycheck and a plane ticket was pretty damn cool. And obviously I grew up a huge Kiss fan. I grew up with anything that was shock rock and horror based, anything that was theatric, you know, more macabre style. So Kiss was a big thing for me, Ozzy, Alice Cooper, stuff like that. So I did that for a long time, about like eight months. And then, you know, I was still going back and forth. I was living in my mom's house, my, my parents' house. And I went from broke-ass college kid to ask my mom to cash my checks because the checks were piling up, which was, you know, not a lot, but it was just enough to like, like, whoa, there's a, there's a comma in my bank account. I've never seen that before. I never had a bank account, so I didn't know what the fuck that was either. Um, Funny story about Alice Cooper. So I met him at a horror movie convention, and you got to pay to get your picture taken with the celebrities there, and we were dressed up because it was a horror movie convention. And you had to write on a piece of paper what you wanted Alice Cooper to sign on your whatever you had, your picture or whatever. So I thought it would be really funny to have Alice Cooper write, Christine, you're hot, because I thought that was funny. And when I got up there and I handed it to him, he just started laughing and he put, no, 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 Christine, you're so hot, Alice <laughs> Cooper, and was the nicest guy, which everybody says, true story, nicest, nicest guy you could ever I met. I met him at a wedding. Oh, <laughs> That's right. That he wasn't invited to. He just crashed it. <laughs> it was the best. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was in Vegas, of course. Right. <laughs> so he actually, uh, he was outside of the door, outside the chapel, because he was doing a convention and everybody was stopping him for pictures. And uh, somebody was outside the chapel smoking because it's a Vegas casino. You could do that. You can't smoke inside the chapel, but you can smoke outside the chapel and spotted him. And I told the wedding party that Alice Cooper was outside. And my, my friend, who actually reminds me of you, <laughs> hiked up her red gothic dress and, <laughs> and booked it out down the aisle to go get a wedding picture of Alice Cooper. And he came in and goes, what? He goes, I want to go to this wedding. Because <laughs> there's a bunch of weirdos like us. But uh, he came in and he took pictures with the whole wedding party. It was great. Oh, that's awesome. He put his hands on my neck and the guy, the guy was taking a picture goes, choke him harder. And he actually did choke me harder. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, how's Cooper's choking me? That's kind of cool. Do you want to introduce uh, your little friend? Oh, uh, this is my game. buddy. This is Ortiz. This is uh, my little companion. He goes everywhere with me. And he uh, just met his new girlfriend outside. So right. They were a match made in heaven or, yeah, or hell or wherever. Until he got a little too close <laughs> and she tried to kill him, which I, which I understand. You know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I did mini kiss for a while. Stopped doing mini kiss. Um, kind of went into like re-phase bows where I just kind of had to figure out something else. And I uh, actually... <laughs> a funny story about we were driving here and I said something about Spirit Halloween. Mm -hmm. Not until like two or three years ago did I remember I actually worked at Spirit Halloween when I was, <laughs> when I got out of Minikiss, I actually worked at Spirit Halloween for a while and I was supposed to, I was doing the same thing with the MySpace and um, the gigs and trying to just, before there was everybody on 
on social media and every platform you can imagine that we have now. I was just trying to find a different gig. And I remember a buddy of mine back in high school was obsessed with horror movies and stuff like that and dark art and tattoos and stuff. And he was always obsessed with a famous tattoo artist called Paul Booth, named Paul Booth. And uh, so one day this ad popped up for a dark, macabre, metal, famous tattoo artist that needed a mini-me for a gig to pop out of a box for the show uh, Headbangers Ball on MTV. This was the revamp of Headbangers Ball, and I knew by the description who they were talking about because it said New York City, and it described his character to the T. So I applied for that job or that gig, and it was just a one-day gig. And at the time, I was still working at Spirit Halloween. And I think that gig was maybe a day or two before Halloween. Of course, they needed all hands on deck because that's the busiest they're going to be. So I got the gig. And then they told me I had to come to work. So I I picked the right option. (laughs) I, I went to the gig and I quit my job. And sure enough, it was who I thought it was, Paul Booth. And I was, he told me I was the least likely of the people who applied for the gig that looked like him because he was bald and a little heavy set and he had a goatee. And at the time I was clean shaven, long black hair, no tattoos, not, nothing, we were the opposite. So he just said that he liked my look. So we did about... I have to say about four to five hours of makeup to make me look even anything like him. So he did a ball cap and he had dreadlocks and we had, so bald with the dreads and he had tattoos on his head. So he had to have somebody tattoo his tattoos on me, then put facial hair on me. And uh, then after the gig, he he said, you want to come back tomorrow and hang out? And I said, yeah, I got nothing to do. Right. <laughs> so, uh, then, um, from there, I just kind of started hanging out with him and met a, started networking down in New York city. And uh, maybe two, three months later, I was packing two suitcases and moving down to New York city based off of quitting a job at Spirit Halloween, hmm. which, you know, I could still be at Spirit Halloween today. If I didn't take <laughs> that gig, I could still be telling girls which, which nurse size fits them best. <laughs> Which Naughty Nose costume is the best one this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I I didn't remember that until really recently when, like, all those little Spirit Halloween memes were coming up. Well, every vacant thing was a Spirit Halloween. Right. Those stupid memes that you see. And I was like, why is that so familiar? I was like, oh, fuck, I used to work for a Spirit Halloween. <laughs> and I quit my job and kind of turned my whole life around based off of not showing up for work one day. And I took a train down to New York City from where I lived, which is about a four-hour train ride. I used to sleep in the back of my car a lot from, at the train station because uh, eventually I got a full-time gig in New York City, even though I wasn't living in New York City. So I would I would take the train every day going up back upstate. And sometimes by the time I got home off the train, it wasn't even worth it to drive another hour back to my parents' house because... I would have to drive back two hours later 
And so I would just sleep in my car. And eventually somebody found out that I was taking a train two, three hours to take a train two, three hours back and then, then sleeping in my car. <laughs> and um, it was just in the middle of nowhere. The train station let you off in the middle of nowhere. It was just, um, when you get to upstate New York, there's just farms and little hole-in-the-wall towns. Everybody just thinks New York is New York City. But no, when you get up there, it, it gets it gets really little, really quick. Right. There's there's nothing for miles. So uh, I would just sleep in the back of my car. Then finally somebody figured out that I was doing that and just not even wasting my gas, not even wasting my energy and just putting a blanket in the back of the car. And then I got the gig at, at a club called The Box. And at the time, The Box was where all the A-listers used to hang out. So that was pretty cool. And that's when the Mini Male Manson stuff started. So is that something that somebody suggested to you or you decided? I lied. You lied? I lied. I said I did it. Uh, <laughs> I was I was underage drinking at a bar with my buddies. And obviously I had the Paul Booth connection. I was starting to network a little bit. And that's where the Nixon name came in. And somebody knew me from those parties, actually. Somebody who was scouting talent knew me from one of Paul's parties and called me and said, hey, I'm scouting talent for an up-and-coming A-lister nightclub to sit down was a couple thousand dollars, and it was a minimum to buy two or three bottles, which was another couple thousand dollars. So just to sit down alone was $3,000. So I started working there. Well, before I started working there, this guy called me from knowing me from Paul Booth, which from Spirit Halloween. He didn't know me from Spirit <laughs> Halloween. He knew me from Paul Booth. Go figure. Um, so he called me and said, hey, they're looking for like a mini thing, like a mini parody. And he wanted originally mini kiss. I said, well, we can't do mini kiss with one guy. It doesn't really make sense. <laughs> so he said, well, what else can you do? And this is a funny part. I lied. I said, mini Ozzy. Okay. I said, mini Alice Cooper. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was back to Alice Cooper again. And, and before I hung up and I, we were about to hang up. And I said, oh, I'm mini Manson. And about maybe 30 minutes later, I got a phone call back. So, okay, we'll see you on Tuesday as mini Manson. And I think it was a Thursday. And I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> So uh, I had to come up with something. Right. Because I lied and I said I did it. And uh, I remember my brother had a pair of contacts, the whiteout contacts. Mm -hmm. I bought, I stole his contacts and I chopped up my mini kiss costume, turned it into a mini Manson costume. And there it was. And they're like, okay, I guess you're hired. <laughs> so I, I think they were originally wanted me to come back a week later so they could work out the tech and all the all the lights and stuff like that and, and I was like well I live in Massachusetts and I came down here for this so they had no choice but to put me in the show because <laughs> they felt bad that I came all that way to audition so they put me in the show that night and then as I was there and as I stayed there the longer I stayed there the more stuff they found for me to do Anytime there was a costume, anytime something I could fit in and uh, like, a, they would have group numbers. Um, they, it was more like, um, kind of like an off Broadway, raunchy 
cabaret show and they have dancers and an MC that sang and a live band. So we would have to consistently switch up the stuff because we had a lot of people that would come on a nightly basis. And if it was Halloween or Christmas or whatever occasion it was, they would switch up. And just like the Jerry Springer thing, they're like, well, we need a leprechaun. So you're hired for that. And next week we need a devil for the Halloween number, so you're hired for that. And so just, I had a whole wardrobe of costumes just based off of anything that you could think of. And I basically wrote that out until the recession. Did you ever get to meet Marilyn Manson? I did. I met him a few times. And uh, the first time I met him, he was in like this backstage area and he was like oh it's you and I was like oh oh it's you <laughs> so we kind of met and he was he knew about me and uh, which I was terrified of because I thought he would give me a cease and desist I thought he would not let me do the act anymore but right. he was he was all about it and I actually uh there's actually a couple pictures of him and I on the internet and he was he whispered in my ear, he goes, I hate fucking taking pictures. I was like, yeah, me too. But I got the biggest shit-eating grin on my face as I were doing it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I fucking hate taking pictures. But I'm like, <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> but yeah, we met a few times. Last time I met him, I was up for about four days. So let's put it that way. <laughs> wow. He was, he, was, he was fun to hang out with. And this is like right after he did Dope Show and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So he was in a pretty good prime. Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's pinnacle. Yeah, it was like right after he did all that stuff, so he was still in his prime before he, he got to, like, the crazy partying stage. Then I got into the crazy partying stage. <laughs> See how that all works? <laughs> Method acting. Right. At, it, at its finest. At its finest, <laughs> yes. So, um, after so you yeah, did, it was fun. Yeah, after you did Marilyn, I mean, what, what, what were the next things that you had coming up? Um, well, because I was in New York City and I was networking. I started hanging out with a lot of burlesque and sideshow and uh, variety performers. So across the street from the box in the Lower East Side, there was a nightclub that's still there called the Slipper Room. And that was kind of like the hangout spot slash performing spot of like the, uh, I wouldn't say lowbrow, but it was, you know, it was a very small room with a stage that was maybe a foot and a half tall. But it was, it was very classic. It was tin ceilings and old wood bar and old theater seats that were just randomly placed around. So I'd hang out there, and that's where I met a lot of more local, everyday, carrying a bag, gig-to-gig-to-gig -gig -gig performers. And I met a lot of people from Coney Island, which obviously for me, knowing the history of, you know, Freak Show and... Stuff like that was super enticing for me to go down there. I didn't know Coney Island was a two and a half hour train ride. There's that damn train again oh, that yeah. keeps showing up in my life that <laughs> takes forever. But I went down there and they offered me a job. But originally they wanted me to just be what's called a barker. And in a sideshow, a barker is somebody sits outside and draws a crowd in. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't going to be the Barker. I was going to be the Barker's uh, intern or apprentice. So they basically made me stand outside. And I don't know if you've ever been to Coney Island, but it's pretty rough. It's a rough 
it's a rough part of town. Um, so I, they used to give me a baseball bat and that was my prop. That was my cane. And so I would sit outside with a baseball bat and thankfully I never had to use it, but there's a couple of times I thought I did. So basically they wanted me to be like the, the draw of the, of the outside stage for pe- people to come in to see the freak show. And eventually that kind of got old and a couple of the guys that worked on the inside, the guys that were in the show, the guys that did human blockhead and the stunts that I wanted to do started teaching me stuff. So the guy who taught me, his name is Donnie Vomit. <laughs> pleasant name. Lovely, lovely name. That's pleasant, you know. Family name, right? Yeah, that's how I introduced <laughs> him to my mom. This is Donnie Vomit. He just said, well, I know you want to be on the inside, but the director of the show wants you to be on the outside. So whenever I'd have breaks and we'd have a beer after the show, they would start teaching me stuff. So they taught me blockhead first, which is how to put nails up your nose. Oh. Huh. Never put a nail up your nose? Well, not on purpose. Oh. <laughs> There's a lot of things I haven't done on purpose, too, that I got paid for. So they taught me that. They taught me some other stuff. But eventually, it was kind of like they wanted me to be in the show. But everybody else already kind of filled the roles of what was already being practiced in the modern 10 to 1 sideshow, which is, you know, fire, blockhead, the electric act, the bendy act, the snake act, you know, whatever you can call it with. But nobody was doing straightjacket escape or escape acts. And me having problems all my life finding things that fit me, I was like, where the fuck am I going to find a straightjacket? <laughs> and he took my measurements, Donnie did, took my measurements, and uh, a couple weeks later, he, he sent them off to a buddy of his that did custom leather work and stuff like that. It's made out of canvas, mm-hmm. like a, almost like canvas that you paint on. So it's made out of canvas. So um, he got me a custom straitjacket. And I still have that straitjacket to this day, and I still perform in that straitjacket to this day. Well, not everybody can say they have a custom. custom. I mean, usually your straitjackets are off the rack. They're not, <laughs> they're not I custom. mean, you can't, it depends on what store you're at. I have seen, I have seen certain stores. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have, I have a straight jacket that's custom made from Coney Island that, um, you may have seen on the show Oddities. Yeah. I was, I was on the first episode of Oddities before it was a show. They were filming a pilot so they didn't know if the show was going to get picked up. And if you still, if you watch the show that day, it is, I'm still in the original opening credits to get out of the straight jacket. I just happened to show up that day with my straight jacket. <laughs> <laughs> so. Coincidence. Um, what a coincidence. I was just out browsing around for a coffin and <laughs> I just happened to have my straight jacket. <laughs> How weird, how low east side of New York are you that you're walking around with a straitjacket buying a casket? Well, luckily, New York, like Portland, you can walk around with a straitjacket and nobody's going to bat an eye. You used to. <laughs> you used to be able to. I'm not sure anymore. I've been back in 10 years. I, I want to go back, but everybody tells me it's it's different. And like Portland's different too, but back then there was more your mom and pop trinket shops that would have weird stuff like that. 
um, more oddity stories. And that's that show actually, I think that show lasted like 14 seasons and it had some spinoffs. They had a San Francisco version and an LA version, I believe. Mm. So it did pretty well. But did you ever have, when you were doing that act, did you ever have any times where you couldn't escape? Yeah. A uh, couple. And a couple times. So, so when I do that act, I usually do it upside down. So one time I did it upside down and I used the wrong material and I fell. Luckily, I wasn't too far up. I was only about three or four feet up and the material broke. Not not the straight jacket, the, the material I was hanging from right. broke. That was pretty embarrassing. Not as bad as it could have been. <laughs> and then there was another time which was really embarrassing, which was a time I was doing a street fair with another performer who I thought was... So when you do a straight jacket act, obviously you cannot put yourself in a straight jacket. You need assistance. Right. And I thought this performer who worked in a sideshow was more than capable of knowing how to put somebody in a straight jacket. So I just assumed. <laughs> and uh, we were doing this little street fair in little Italy in, uh, in New York. It was like, you know, we had this little tent and he would do a couple of acts and I would do a couple of acts. And whoever walked in the tent got got a little show and then we'd put a tip bucket out or something like that well he did my straight jacket but he did it to the point where I think he put one of my back buckles to my crotch buckle which meant I had to put my leg through that opening <laughs> which is not what you're supposed to do <laughs> And we had about maybe two to three people in the tent. And I think it was just a family, a mom and a dad and maybe 11-year-old girl that was sitting in that tent. And I got stuck for about 20 minutes. Oh, man. And I wasn't even upside down. I was just awkwardly <laughs> just standing out of the stage who couldn't get out because I couldn't get my leg through this opening that was supposed to not be what it is. And I remember just looking at the guy and he's like, what's wrong? Just, what's the, this is the act. I'm like, this is not the fucking act, dude. <laughs> you scooted it up because, you know, it's, it's basically, it's basically like doing a belt buckle. Right. But if you, if you do your belt buckle to your, uh, say if you're wearing a, a collar or something, right. if you do your belt buckle to your collar and try to get out of it, it's going to get a whole complicated, like a choke collar. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, he hooked me up wrong. Oh, no. And I don't know if it was more embarrassing that he hooked me up wrong or it was just a nice little family. A mom and dad and an 11-year-old girl just watching me struggle for about 20 minutes. And I think my I got that little golf clap at the end. <laughs> that like, little pity clap for the blanket. That's exactly what it was. It was just a pity clap. And my face is all red and my, my leg is, my leg feels like somebody like had it behind my head for 20 minutes. And my muscles feel like I just torn all of them out of place trying to get out of this damn thing. And then I got the the golf clap. <laughs> they thought, well, this is a really long act. This is like some this is some Houdini shit. He's taking a long time. He's dedicated to yeah, his work. I, I was I was just dedicated to get the fuck out of there. That's what I was. I was dedicated to get my paycheck and tell the guy to fuck himself. I don't know if I don't think he did it on purpose. I, I think he just didn't know. Right. And I just assumed he knew because he was in the sideshow for so many years. I just was like, oh, that's just, it's one, two, three, four, five. There we go. Strap him up. 
and he strapped me to the long strap and I couldn't get out. And luckily, <laughs> luckily I wasn't upside down. Right. Because I don't think I have a safety word. <laughs> and luckily, I'm not sure if I'm lucky or if I'm unlucky that there was only three people to witness it. Because <laughs> it, was, it was super embarrassing. And that was probably 20 years ago that I still remember how embarrassing it just sit in front of a little modern New York family just <laughs> watching me for 20 minutes. Just... And I, I didn't, I didn't know how to get, how to like stop the act and just say, this ain't going to work. So I just did it. <laughs> well, that's a testament to you that you're like, okay, I, yeah, this is where I am now. Uh, yeah. I guess we're just, this is what we're doing. At least it wasn't like an, a real Houdini act where you're upside down underwater yeah. and all that fun stuff. So I just went with the straitjacket stuff for a long time and went off of that for years. Well, when you were in the sideshow, I mean, because there is a lot of characters in a sideshow, did y'all ever go out as a group and just a bunch of like really interesting characters just go to an Applebee's for dinner? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, I was on a toying sideshow recently and uh, I was toying with the lizard man. Oh, yeah. Who's all tattooed green with the scales and uh, a guy named Shorty E. Dangerously who literally just has a half a body. He's cut off at the, uh, at, he's cut off at the legs. Mm -hmm. Like not even knees, stumps or nothing. Just, just uh, right where his legs are. And he would walk on his hands just like Johnny Eck from Freaks did. And we would go and we would tour city to city on a nightly basis. And it would be the green guy, the short gothic guy, and the guy walking on his legs. And Shorty, you know, would, could only walk so far because it's, you know, it's basically like doing a push-up every time he had to mm. take a step. Um, so he would have a skateboard that he would put himself on and wheel himself around because he couldn't really do a wheelchair because mm -hmm. he didn't have enough, I, I don't know. I mean, he could do a wheelchair, but it right. was easier to, it was more mobile to have a skateboard. So yeah, like we would get some pretty good looks, but... There's a thing called natural born freaks and then there's a thing called self-made freaks and natural born is obviously somebody like me or shorty or uh, anybody who's missing a limb or, you know, some type of genetically born, genetically born yeah, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there's the self-made who are the people who get themselves into it and figure out, you know, either tattooing or a more extreme look. But the horns underneath their The horns, skin you know, and... the big Mohawks and the spikes and the painted eyes and stuff. So I kind of adapted a way to do both of those things, even though when I was at Coney Island, they just wanted me just to stand out there and be like a little trophy. And I was like, that's boring. That's so boring. And it's just, it's so, it's so old school. In the old rig show days, they would just have them just sit there. They would literally just have them sit there like they were in a glass tank. There was a uh, a Siamese twin duo called Donnie and Donnie and something. I can't remember. Donnie and Dan, I think their names were. I can't remember. Anyways, they were brothers. And they would literally just put them in like a trailer. And they cut a window out of the trailer. And let people just look in the window. And they would just sit there and watch TV and play video games and <laughs> do nothing all day. And they loved it because people would 
bring them presents and, you know, like bring them candy and they would just watch TV and do nothing all day. And all they did was cut a window out of them and charge people to look in the window. So you and I kind of talked about this slightly on the car right over here, but you did all of these things, these freak shows and stuff like that. What is your personal opinion on people making money to see somebody because they were born different? Oh, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> now I got a drip. <laughs> um, I guess it's your take on it. It's just, um, you know, in, in the more modern times, it's, it's somebody's choice. Obviously, back then, I don't know. Obviously, I know the history of it and that families would sell off babies with deformities to, to the traveling carnival. Right. Because if they didn't sell them off, they would either be either euthanized or given to an orphanage. And a lot of families back then, especially in the old carny days, during the Depression, needed the money. And it wasn't the choice of the individual to go into of those. They not. were no. They were placed into those right. situations. Now, now they're right. Now they get hired. Right. They weren't hired. They were sold into it. And you know, honestly, a lot of those people grew up in that environment, and they were always well taken care of. For what I can understand, most of them were well taken care of because they were the star of shows. And I don't know if they were amazingly wealthy, but I know like when they started banning sideshows because they considered it pornographic, it was actually considered porn pornography that they put all these people out of work and these traveling shows had no use for them anymore. Mm. So they all kind of just had to figure out what to do because there was nowhere for them to go. There's nowhere for them to travel. There's no one to take care of them because they had no family other than the circus. Well, and for people like the the Siamese twins, I mean, that's not something where you can just, you know, in most cases, go and you know be a. You could be a greeter for Walmart. Yeah, you're you're <laughs> you're much more limited on what you're of able course, to and, do. And back then, there was no disability rights and right. there's no social security and stuff like that. So if you had what you had, that, that was it. So P.T. Bottom, apparently, a lot of stories I've heard is not the nicest person, but there was a guy that worked for P.T. Bottom called Tom Thumb, and he used to own, all, with all the money he, he made from P.T. Bottom, he used to own racing horses hmm. and made a shit ton of money. Oh, wow. Yeah, he had a whole ranch of racing horses. Johnny Eck had, had a mansion, and like all those guys had, for back then, you know, a couple dollars a day was a lot of money. Right. Especially during the Depression. So uh, P.T. Barton would bring these guys back when he could because his show was failing. There's only so many times you could see the elephant and the, and the trapeze. They wanted to see the freak show. So he would bring these people back, and that's how the revolving door of that stuff was and, and Coney Island had a lot of that too, where a lot of competing shows would go against each other to bring in the freak shows. And then when freak shows were outlawed, it was, then the animal thing became the issue, I guess. <laughs> I mean, which is, you know, a whole different subject. 
Tiger King kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he saved us during the pandemic. Oh, you know. Who yes, else? What else did we have to do for the first six months except for watch Tiger King? I don't know, but it, when a world was divided, Tiger King. Tiger King was back together. Put it together. <laughs> we all we all decided Carol was the enemy. Oh yeah, well obviously. Poor Carol. <laughs> She deserved it. And now a word from our sponsor, me. So about two years ago, I got the opportunity to buy the house that we were renting. And even though I was in the mortgage business at the time, I was pretty new to it. And and I was scared. I was nervous. Um, it's It's a big deal to buy a house. But luckily, my mortgage broker was my friend and coworker. And what he did was he walked me through this process. He made sure that I understood everything. Um, He took care of things on his side. There were things that were going on that I didn't even know about. And I think that that's so important when you're working with a mortgage broker. That's why when I became licensed, I, I knew that that's the kind of mortgage broker I wanted to be. I'm here to not only help you buy a home, but to make sure that you do so in the most comfortable way possible. And I'm here to, to carry the burden of that stress for you. But I'm also here to make it a little bit fun because, let's face it, buying a home should be kind of fun. So if you're looking for a house to buy in Oregon or Washington, you can contact me at christine at tworiversmtg.com. So you can contact me at christine at tworiversmtg.com. That's christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, at T-W-O-R-I-V-E-R-S-M-T-G dot com or call me at 903-343-1370. NMLS 224-8608. And now back to your program. Well, you did the freak show stuff for quite a long time. And then what did you do after that? I still do the freak show stuff when I can. Obviously, the pandemic has put us all down on performances and what is easy to do or acceptable to do. And I want to say acceptable, but when you don't know, you know, up until a year ago, maybe less than a year ago, that we even knew venues that were going to be open. Right. So during that time, I focused more on visual and more creative stuff that I could do by myself and do with my friends, just like, you know, the drinking and drawing type of stuff. And some mushrooms, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, what else do you got to do for six months? So I focused on that, and I found a space like the one you work out of right now that allows artists to come in and have their own space, have have their own tools, and have 24-hour access, and it's called Afro Gallery. And we are based in Portland, and we're a non-profit, and we hold monthly exhibits with circus and art and all that stuff. And a lot of the guys that perform and do art in those, in those monthly exhibits also have spaces that we rent out and do like 24 hours, whatever we feel like doing, and we all have like little areas. For the most part, we all just kind of hang out with each other and work off each other. Yeah, so in, in addition to being a performance artist, you're an artist artist. You... I guess so. I sold a piece. <laughs> Somebody bought something off me. And that's all I, I think that that makes you legit. That's I legit. I think that is the, I think you can be an artist without selling it. But somebody you are somebody bought something. I don't know. 
Somebody, somebody liked a picture on my page. <laughs> I, somebody said, oh, that's cool. I said, oh, really? I didn't know. You, you can put artist on your resume now. Wow. And, resume? Uh, what's that? <laughs> I never had one of those either. I, just I would actually love to see your resume. <laughs> somebody asked me to write a resume for like an actual job recently, and I had no idea what the fuck to tell them. I was like, uh... You want me to you play? Just, you can just send them, if that ever happens again, just send them this podcast and just be like, here, look, this is what I've done. Here's what I can do. I can escape as long as somebody. I would just put, I'm just going to put up. the dog up and just say, listen, hire me. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, somebody asked me to write a resume once, and I was like, I don't know the last time I had to write a resume. <laughs> I mean, maybe Spirit Halloween will take me back. <laughs> There's really no resume. It was just kind of like, this is what I did, and the longer I think about it, the more I look back at, like, how stuff happened organically is just, I never really forced my way into anything. I, I lied about being, <laughs> I lied about it, but I never. Everybody does. It's like that, Everybody that's like, a little and bit. that guy, that guy that was, like, in Congress right now. Oh. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he lied about a bunch of shit. He's no. Like, there's literally nothing that he said that's true. Like, nothing. Is... He just resigned yesterday. Yes. Um, but he lied about a bunch of shit. And he, somebody like, somebody put him in an office. And and people wanted to keep him there even after he came out that he lied. So. But uh, no, the only thing I lied about was putting a contact in my eye and dancing around to beautiful people. Well, and then you and then you did it well. Then you I did, did it. it. So, I did it as I mean, long as I could. I think that if you lie about something that you can pull off. Yeah. I did as long as I could. I didn't have to write any laws. Yeah, you weren't Senate. making laws. I, mean, I think, yeah, yeah no, no harm. No Senate bills, <laughs> no laws. No one got harmed. So, yeah, it was just uh, when somebody asked me to write a resume recently, I went to a couple people that actually do know how to write resumes and they're like, well, what was your last job? And I was like, last job. 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 <laughs> like a patient? <laughs> like a weekly patient? <laughs> I had no idea what the hell to tell them. Which is kind of weird. I, I told you this on the way here, but when I first came to Portland and didn't know anything about Portland, but just fell in love with just the creativity, the the interesting, the weird. I will tell the story on here that I was here for work and was, you know, the whole like touristy thing. I went into Voodoo Donuts and all that, had my little pink box and little East Texas podunk girl but but i walked around the corner and i saw you and you were going into a club there and you didn't run i didn't run as a matter of fact because i'm i'm fascinated by interesting people it's a (laughs) i mean like i'm truly fascinated by interesting people and i could tell that you were some sort of performer and you were very interesting but i was like dorky tourist with my voodoo donut box Mm -hmm. and i could not bring myself to go into this kind of dark edgy club i definitely would have been like they would have been like what the hell is this girl doing here i believe you're talking about dante's yeah oh no it was the one right behind the the oh okay okay yeah and i so desperately wanted to to see what the hell you were doing yeah your mind would have been (laughs) probably been blown yeah you would you would have been a little bit over Oh, but I would have loved that. I, you would have I, loved it, but it was, <laughs> it would, but I definitely couldn't go in there the way I was. It would have been, would have I would take, have been mortified. Yeah, uh, uh, more for me. me. But so you do get noticed. I mean, I even watched you from 
when you were coming up to the car and stuff and I watched people go by you and they would turn and, and look. And so you definitely get noticed when you're walking around. How do you handle that? I mean, I'm sure that's something that you've been dealing with your whole life. Of course. Uh, so also Portland kind of brought me here for that reason too. I, I lived in New York, like I said, but uh, Portland is a little bit more accepting, a little bit more what people told me, what I would imagine. Like, you know, I always feel like when I move somewhere, somebody goes, oh man, you should have been here five years ago. It's so much cooler. Yeah. That's how I felt about New York. And you know, everybody's kept telling me, oh, it's so much cooler. You would have been going everywhere. Everybody would have loved you, which they did already. But they're like, but five years ago, man, you would have been awesome back in the nineties, back mm -hmm. in the eighties, you know, you missed a prime. And so when I got to Portland, I felt like I got my prime here. I felt like I found the prime spot because people were early 2000s. But as far as that goes, Portland was a little bit more, I would say, less divided <laughs> than it is now, than it was then, I should say. Um, but I, I always felt like I fit in pretty well and I got to do a lot of business and other opportunities here. But like I said, growing up, I was the only little person I knew. And up until... I was comfortable with myself. I always felt very self-conscious because, like I said, I always just try to fit in as much as possible because not only you're three feet tall, but you have long black hair and eyeliner. That's <laughs> <laughs> not where I grew up. And if I went to your home state and hometown, it's not where I... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, you would... You'd be noticed. <laughs> I, I've noticed. I've noticed that a lot when I was touring. But that was a different scenario because people expected that. But if you're just walking to the, down the street and you're going to the grocery store or something, uh, I kind of carry that self-confidence from the stage to the street because growing up, I didn't have that self-confidence and I didn't have a stage until I found a stage or the stage found me, I should say. Um, so I kind of take that self-confidence that the stage gave me and the presence of just in general, the long brow hair and uh, the eyeliner and uh, and the leftover makeup from last night, which I don't even remember I have on half the time. My neighbors are terrified. <laughs> I go take the garbage out. I'm like, what, what, do you, what the fuck's your problem? Well, you got close makeup on. I'm like, oh yeah, shit. I still have like skull makeup on or something. But like I said, I just didn't know or have that confidence to know that. I mean, sometimes I would say 80% of the time it's positive. Yeah. Or curiosity. It's just, but if you go, if you go to middle of buttfuck nowhere, no one knows what to say to you. You get some really interesting freaking things that, that people say. <laughs> I had a guy confront me a couple hours away from here in uh, Grants Pass, which is about four hours away. In this little uh, shithole town. Sorry, Grants Pass, but you are a shithole <laughs> town. Um, I went Don't into, worry, we won't go broadcast there. They'll never know. They'll never know. They're, they're not going to figure that out. So I, I went there and I walk into, I, I went there for a tattoo appointment. There was this artist there that was doing a guest spot. So me and a girlfriend at the time booked out an appointment with this artist. So we decided to go down the day before and get a hotel and then stay for an appointment. And then, so we made a vacation on the Grants Pass. 
which is not <laughs> something you should do. Anyways, so the first thing we do is when we get there, I was like, well, I need to find a dive bar. And somebody points us a couple blocks down, said, cross the track, three blocks down, cross the railroad track. So we do, and I walk in, and uh, this guy, and the whole bar gets silent. The entire bar is like a movie where the music stops. There's like a screeching of the record. And, you know, like everybody just turns their head. And I'm, I, I was kind of dressed normal that day. I right? just, I, I, thought, I thought I was normal, normal-ish. And everybody just stops. And I just go up to the bar like normal. And uh, everybody just kind of slowly starts to chatter back up. And I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm definitely in the honky-tonk, the honky-tonk fucking local bar. And uh, there's this one guy, and you could tell he's a talent drunk because everybody knows his name and everybody keeps telling him to stop doing whatever he's doing because right. he keeps fucking up. And this is like four o'clock in the afternoon. So he, That's he keep, rough. Yeah, he keep, <laughs> George, knock it off. George, stop harassing the customers. George, stop stealing that guy's beard. You know, like, <laughs> everybody knows that George is walking around already drunk. And uh, George, Makes eye contact with me, and the bar stops again. And everybody's like, oh, shit, what the fuck is George going to say? And I kind of smile at him, and he gives me that look, that staggering, like, Clint Eastwood look. <laughs> and the whole bar stops, and they're, like, waiting for us. It's just like, I don't know, like, two fucking cars, like, the last two cars are a demolition derby, you know? He's <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that. He goes, what the fuck are you supposed to be? And I was like, uh, my name's Nick, you know? Yeah, nice to meet you. He doesn't extend his hand. I'm like, oh, here we go. He goes, no, uh-uh, you ain't going to get away with that one. I know what you are. <laughs> I was like, all right, George, what am I? You one of them. You one of them Ewoks. Oh, <laughs> And there's this, this like split moment of silence, and I just fucking die laughing. <laughs> and, what a random like. But I thought he was gonna. Of all things to be, just the, that he could pull out to call you. To yeah, I, I thought he was gonna say midget. I thought he was gonna say dwarf. I thought he was gonna say something really that would make me get. I thought you were soft and cuddly, you know. He called me a fucking Ewok. You <laughs> <laughs> called me Ewok, and the whole bar went. <gasps> And I just started dying laughing. I almost like dropped my drink. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> and then the whole bar was like, we're going to buy you a drink. George, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and George, they all told George go fuck himself because I'm sure he gets told to go fuck himself uh, every often, day. Yeah. But uh, I had free drinks for the rest of the night. Oh, man. But I, I kind of broke the ice with that, that fucking moment because no one knew what to say to me. And no one knew how to fucking approach me. And then, of course, the town drunk calls me a fucking Ewok. <laughs> so everybody could hear it. And I had free drinks all night. I went back to that bar three times that weekend. <laughs> I mean, that's that sounds like a pretty great night, I think. You I know? had a great I mean, night. You would you would be called an Ewok again to get free drinks all night, right? It's totally, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Ewoks were cannibals. Drink, drinks are expensive, you know. <laughs> Nine grand's pass, but... Uh, oh, yeah, well. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But Ewoks are also cannibals, so there's that. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe they're a little badass, you know? They they <laughs> ate, They were trying to eat the people in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, the guy called me an Ewok. Oh, God. It's great. <laughs> but there's many moments like that. There's many awkward, just like, I don't know what's going to happen. So I said that 80% is kind of 
out of curiosity or just a, just a person's that that's there. But then there's that other 20% where you're like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. And for, for the most part, it's pretty positive, especially now that there's more social media. And since there's all these little people shows, which I fucking hate, by the way, <laughs> they're the worst. Do you hate them because they're just dumb? They're dumb. They're, <laughs> they're so bad. I was watching a little women of LA, a little women of whatever. And it was, it's basically the desperate housewives, rich wife show where they all have drama every show. And I'm like, I just feel like that's kind of what everybody expects me to be because they watch those shows. Not saying I don't have my moments, but <laughs> those shows are not really putting us in a good light. And there's a lot of those moments that are, I feel on our shows that are wholesome and they do shed a perspective, but not all of us have the same view, obviously. I mean, well, we all have the same eye to eye, right? <laughs> but we all don't have the same view on words and, like you said, exploitation. Mm-hmm. I feel like those shows are more exploitative than being in a freak show any day. A freak show, at least I can dress myself, act like myself, and mm-hmm. be myself. That's some producer feeding you a line and saying, okay, we need more drama. So every time they have those shows and they have like the six of them all around each other, they're throwing glasses at each other and throwing flipping tables. I can't say that. I should say anyway. maybe they're flipping coffee tables. <laughs> they're not really flipping. They're not maybe flipping shot glasses. <laughs> they're not really flipping anything heavy. But I feel like that show is more exploitation than being a performer. At least when I'm on stage, I choose and do what I want. That's that's driven towards a drama and must-see TV, which is basically what the Jerry Springer show and all that stuff was. Right. Well, it's funny how they do kind of put little people and stuff in these weird scenarios instead of, like, in real scenarios. Because they put us all in a ball pit, yeah, <laughs> like a Chuck E. Cheese ball <laughs> pit, and they just let us go crazy. Well, that would be that would be better than the Real Housewives one. I think so too. <laughs> you know, fun. But yeah, like you said, they all kind of they all kind of go into this like drama, and I I've been in reality shows that have forced me into oral, you know, oh, what's the confrontation? And you're know, like, there is no confrontation. I'm just here. Right. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I remember I did like a Jersey Shore rip-off show and I was supposed to get in a fight with somebody. I was supposed to stand on the bar drinking shots and it was, some guy was supposed to call me to midget and I was supposed to kick him or something or spit my shot at him or something like that. And of course, they didn't get the take right, so we had to do it like three more times. <laughs> you kind of lose your, your mojo after the first couple of times. Of well, I, I like doing the shots a couple more times, but... If they'd have been good script writers, he would have called you an Ewok. They would call me Ewok. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the best things are the most unscripted. What? Oh, I had some weird, I had a weird night the other night. I went to the Penn Teller show, which mm-hmm. I love the Penn Teller show because mm-hmm. I do magic myself. But I just had this long night of just like in and out drama and all my friends kind of circulated like the, the cast of Friends. Or the cast of Cheers or something. Like, everybody just kept circulating around me. And, like, all this weird shit kept happening. And then at the end of the night, I got followed home by this guy who was buying me shots. 
and not for a sexual reason or not by, <laughs> not for like propagating me or not. He just followed me home. So I hid in that church, <laughs> the church across the street. So I hid in the church for a while. But I was like, man, if this is a reality show, just basically follow me around, which I, I've tried to pitch a few times, but people like, we're just supposed to follow you. I was like, just wait for it. Just, it'll happen. Just wait for it. Just let me just walk down the street <laughs> and you'll probably get about 20 minutes of footage just of the, especially downtown Portland. Right. But there's just always weird shit. And the funniest stuff is the most unscripted stuff, especially when you're on tour and you're in towns you don't know and they don't know. Oh, my favorite, my favorite's uh, when I meet somebody who goes, well, you know my friend John, right? I'm like, no, why would I know fucking John? Oh, well, he's, he's one of you. <laughs> one he's of a me. Marilyn Manson impersonator. No, he's, <laughs> he's like, he's like four foot four. It's like, sorry, that doesn't count. He's just short. <laughs> oh, well, you guys know each other, right? You know John. Fucking no John. Like, not like we walk around with antennas, like, trying to find each other. Like radar systems, but they always just assume. And another thing is they assume stuff because of those shows, which I think is hysterical. Because I will throw a shot glass at you. <laughs> I'll, I'll empty it before I throw it at you. Though. Well, I actually have seen more little people here in Portland than have I, you? Let me know. Than I've seen anywhere. Because I, I, I mean, because like, we're like chihuahuas, we can't be around each other. <laughs> it's true, we can't be around each other. That's maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe they, there's just one, and I just keep seeing. But you're dressed it's me, different. It's me. It's I, just you. You're I dressed just, different every time. I, I dress up in drag and walk around <laughs> just so you don't know it's the same one. Maybe that's maybe that is why they put those little people shows on because we all we can't get along. <laughs> and that was another thing when I was growing up. My parents actually took me to a little people convention. It wasn't a convention. It's more like a meetup. And uh, the kids too were kind of like clicky. They were, they were weird. It was weird. Like you think like that's that's where I was supposed to make friends, and that's right. how I was supposed to like get something of like a, huh? Okay, this makes sense. But yeah, the kids were like really clicky and kind of mean to me. So I was how like, rude! You can't even go to a. I couldn't even get along with my own people. I couldn't even get along with my own Ewoks. I got kicked out of the village. <laughs> yeah, they were clicky and mean to me. And my parents were like, well, well, do you want to go back? And I was like, not really. Because I already had my friends in school. Right. I wasn't like a total outcast. I had friends. But yeah, I went to like a group of other little people, kids about my age. And they were just kind of rude. That just goes to show you that. Kids are assholes, no Kids matter what. Kids are assholes, yeah. <laughs> the adults were being nice because I was like the new kid and they were trying to force me to play with their, hey, show, show Nick the, uh, the ball pit or whatever. <laughs> they're trying to force, they're trying to force friendship on the kids. Right. And, uh, and then you, you already feel like an outsider anyways mm. in your own skin. And then you got to make, you feel like other people that are supposed to be automatically your friends and automatically someone you have an association or something in common with make you feel like more of an outsider, Ugh. which is kind of horrifying. So I never went back. And then I met other little people down the line and I could see how it gets a little clicky. But a lot of us, are, of course, are in entertainment and are used to being the center of attention. So that's kind of where, where people Oh, yeah, I'll get like chihuahuas, <laughs> I would say. 
I'm going to get in trouble for a lot of this. I'm letting all the secrets out. The first movie I ever saw at a movie theater was Time Bandits. Time Bandits is amazing. That is the very first movie theater movie I ever saw. That's a great movie. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, Wizard of Oz and all that other stuff. But I do, but a, fly, I do a flying monkey act, you know. Oh, do you? Yeah, I throw a poop at people. Oh. <laughs> I actually do a flying monkey act. Um, I don't want to be in the audience when... I mean, it's chocolate poop. Oh, okay. Well, you know. Don't tell... Yeah, it's yeah. chocolate poop. Yeah. I actually have people pick it up and eat it, which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> I, I mean... Not because it's chocolate poop. It's because it's off the ground of a, a, yeah, no, that's, a venue. That's gross. No matter what. Yeah. Yeah. You ate you ate chocolate off the ground of a music venue. Well, some of the venues around here, there's all sorts of stuff that's going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do a flying monkey act. And that was another thing which I kind of took to my advantage was, obviously, there's so many things I could do, like being an Ewok. <laughs> there were so many things I wanted to do, but the costuming is a tough part. I found somebody to make me a flying monkey costume back in New York City probably 15 years ago, and I still use that costume on a monthly basis. But I wanted to do stuff like ground ones. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. I've done Yoda a few times, but I want, uh, I have to incorporate into an act. Right. I can't just be walking around as an ambiance. Right. I have to be in an act. Performing. Yeah. And I like to, I like to like crossroads the act into more, like more of an edgy thing. Mm-hmm. Like I think when I did Yoda, I had somebody spray, spray a bodysuit for me. And I had a, a lightsaber as the penis. Sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know. <laughs> so I did a strip tease, a Yoda <laughs> strip tease, and I did a lightsaber as the penis. Of course. I mean, it's got to be edgy. It's got to be fun. And it's got to be like a little mind twisting. Because only I'm allowed to get away with that. <laughs> I've seen normal-sized people dress up as flying monkeys and Yodas and stuff. It's not the it's same. It's not. Can't do Booze, that. It's magic. Yeah, don't, don't, don't take that from me. That's all I got. Learn your place. That's not your place. Yeah, you got plenty of other characters to work with. Give me, let, leave my shit alone. <laughs> Whenever I do an onstage thing, I, I like to twist it and make it more of a story. And I don't like to use words. I don't like to use anything that anybody's ever seen before other than the iconicness of the character itself. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you said Time Bandits, but there's so many more. I could do E.T., I could do all sorts of weird shit. <laughs> yeah, it really is interesting when you can transform and be something so creative and interesting. And, and the best is when you fuck up somebody's childhood. Because <laughs> like, oh, I remember that. That was so. That was my thing. Like, I could come out as a Teddy Ruxpin, and then totally just make it horrible. Like, you put a tape in me, and I just start swearing. <laughs> you know, um, isn't that? I mean, that's basically, isn't that what they did? I mean, yeah, they, that's that is what if you, you do. You put the tape backwards. I mean, that's all it was. It was, then it was, it was a curse, and it was you know. Satan. A lot of Satan. Maybe that's what happened to me. Let's see what else. Did I, oh, I've done Chucky a bunch of times, right. like any horror movie villain, like Leprechaun, Chucky, and it's like all that stuff I get to work with, and I love doing that stuff because only I could do it, and only other little people in that statue could do it. There's a guy, Doug Jones, who did Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. He was the main guy in Pan's Labyrinth. He's got this weird abnormality or whatever, where he's got extremely long limbs and he's got a really long neck. Uh-huh. And he's cast with everything. And I'm like, damn you. That's what I want to do. I want 
because I have done a lot of special effect makeups and I love that stuff when you get into costume and you can just play the character for a couple hours and no one else can do it. Right. So do you, do you still do some things like that now? I do. Um, the film industry in Portland is unfortunately slowed down. Like we used to have Portlandia. And you, we were on, to, you were on that, right? I was on Portlandia, yes. That was great. That was a lot of fun. Oh, 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 oh. I forgot he was so Yeah, he didn't like idea very much. <laughs> Were um, they, so did you actually get to work with Fred and Carrie? Yeah, I did. I, I got to work with them on a couple of scenes. They put me as an extra for a couple of scenes. And then finally I got a line in one of them where they did the episode. They did the Weirdos episodes. Oh, yeah. Well, they were the golf kids <laughs> where they had the golf characters. And there was an episode where the taxidermy got stolen. So they had to interrogate all the golf weirdos in town. And right. I, I was one of the golf weirdos that they got to interrogate. And that was a lot of fun because I had maybe two lines. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, I don't have to be an extra. I don't have to walk, run around and eat a bag of Doritos for my payout. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but <laughs> Grimm was also here, and Grimm was great because they would they would find characters that could play more um, specific things, like I was saying. Like, yeah, Grimm would have been right up your alley. Totally. I never got casted as something like that, though. But I did some stuff, like some alien animatronic stuff, where they had like almost like Elf. Mm-hmm. They had like Elf-type character for me, but they had the whole helmet. They had the whole mask as an animatronic. So, and the mask was so heavy that I had to wear a neck brace. Wow. <laughs> and they had to, they had to give me an earpiece to tell me where to go. Okay, turn right. Take two steps there. That's like this, the Slee Stack costume. He has to have, he has mics inside there. His fans inside his yeah. head. And he has to have a handler. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It, like, stuff like that. It's, it's really difficult and really hard to do, especially... Because they would they would say the lines of of what the uh, what we were doing they would they would recite the lines and all I could do is just kind of bob and put my hands out right and I was like I hope that was good because I don't know what the <laughs> hell just happened and then they would show me the playback they would show me the playback and I'm like oh no, cool and they're like okay let's do it six more times I'm like what the stuff is really cool it's really challenging and fun to work with but. I, I definitely have more appreciation for it after wearing a 30-pound head on you. And it's loud. Right. Uh, when the mouth moves and the eyes move and it makes it smile and, you know, the ears, like, wiggle or something. All that stuff is all motors and gears and stuff. So it's basically like putting a big RC car on your head. <laughs> do you want to do more? Uh, I, you talked about me of be doing some YouTube videos, but would you like to do more film work? Yeah, I think at this point, with how the attention span is, like stuff like this, more short, no pun intended, no, more short <laughs> stuff. I would like to base it off of everybody now on YouTube is a home chef. Everybody now is an action figure collector or an expert on something. I would just want to find that little passion, which I think I know where I want to go with it. And I'm not going to say too much, but I know where I want to go with it. And I know the attention span, which is basically right now, it's seven to 15 minutes. 
just make short little episodes about something I'm commonly interested in mm-hmm. and also have an excuse to do some road tripping. Yeah. Uh, basically, you watch shows like Pawn Stars and all these antique picking shows. And those segments are so short, and but they tell a story. There's something interesting you learn about. There's a dialogue like the Oddity Show. Oh, I'm here to buy. I'm here to buy a two-headed goat, goat baby skull today. Oh, okay. Let me show you one. Stuff like that. I, I feel like the attention spans there, the weirdness is there, and the story has got to be there as well. Right. No, I think that's, I think it's cool. And I think we are leaning more towards that kind of entertainment, which is perfect for me with my attention span and time that I have. And I love that those little snippets of stuff. I constantly watch YouTube videos in my downtime. Yeah. And especially when it starts catering to your likes and what you click on, you know, mine's everything from wrestling to how to use an air fryer uh, <laughs> and what happened on 91210 and one episode of Baywatch or something. I'm like, oh yeah, 90s nostalgia. I'll click on that shit all day. Speaking of wrestling, one of my high school friends that I just interviewed for this, she made the famous Undertaker's hat. Oh, the hat. The, you know. The original hat. The hat. The hat. The famous the original one. The hat. The, the, brim, the brim hat. The brim hat. She uh, made it. So I grew up a huge Undertaker fan. And I remember when my my parents let me finally paint my own room, I wanted Undertaker purple. Oh. It, it, didn't, couldn't, it couldn't be just purple. It had to be Undertaker purple. She was so <laughs> disappointed because she wanted to go and fit it on him herself. She herself is four foot eleven. Uh-huh. And he's, he's six foot ten, ginormous. Yeah, and it would have taken an, an absolute ladder, even if he was sitting down, for her to be able <laughs> oh, yeah. to. Uh, but she wasn't able to do that. But yeah, you when that when he comes out and he's that's her that creation, the, the original one, the original. Wow. Yes, that's probably in a Hall of Fame or something I, right now. I don't know. They, they but, have a they have an archive of like all the costumes and stuff. I actually went to a wrestling show a couple of weeks ago with my buddy's girlfriend who has no idea about wrestling. <laughs> so I know a lot. Mm-hmm. And all she knew is who's got sparkly pants and who doesn't have sparkly right. pants. So I got to explain the costumes. I got to explain what the bad guy's costume was and what the good guy's costume was. And she was totally hooked. She was. So once I get, once I broke it down into whose costumes were sparkly and what that costume is, and what that costume is. I never thought I would be explaining wrestling based off of the costumes. <laughs> you see the sparkly pants over there? Okay, that guy's a, that guy's a good guy. Non-sparkly pants, bad guy. Bad guys. <laughs> bad guys don't wear sparkles. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I get it. She totally got the whole thing. And uh, yeah, I had to explain wrestling to whose sparkly pants is. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, like, okay, that guy cheated on that guy's girlfriend and this guy happened. She loved it. She was L for it after that. Sparkle pants. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have to, and you know, it's, it's, it's just like, uh, like everything else. It's stage, it's, it's live theater right? and it's acrobatics. And so like stuff like that catches my attention. Yeah. It's definitely its own art, art form. 
Yeah. So, and The Undertaker was my first guy that I was like, what is this? Well, and blame me a friend. I'm going to blame you a freaking I'll, friend. Well, I'll tell her, Brooksanne, it's your fault. <laughs> it's your fault. And all he is like this, 38 years later. 36, sorry. <laughs> Shit, I was 38 from that. But yeah, I love stuff like that. Like I said, I went to Penn and Teller the other night and I used to watch someone as a kid, like pretending to blow each other's hands off and throw knives at each other and stuff like that. They don't really do that much anymore. But uh, but yeah, I grew up with that raunchy kind of 90s comedy. I grew up on the East Coast, obviously, and stayed up every night to watch Howard Stern. Right. And I watched Jerry's. I stayed, I pretended to be sick almost on a daily basis. So I could watch Jerry Springer and Price is Right. <laughs> I grew up, it was like, we got out of the squeaky clean 80s stuff and went into, went into like a, the launchy talk show era. Mm-hmm. So to be on Jerry Springer seven times was really surreal. Yeah, but I just found that out about you yesterday. I have no idea how you found that out, by the way. Because I, I did my homework. Oh, I was good. digging around and <laughs> I got an I gotta, article or I gotta, something. I got to delete that. <laughs> but I, I haven't seen it, but I but I read about it. So. My, my dad used to tape them. Oh. And he, like, he was my, so proud. <laughs> yeah, so instead of, instead of, hey, here's my kid in a home run, in his little league game, it was, hey, here's my kid in a wedding dress on Jerry Springer's show. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's me. Are your parents little people? No, they are not. So it's it's genetics, obviously. Uh, but just in any type of genetic, it's one of so many. Right. I think as far as dwarfism or whatever you want to call it goes, it's one out of 30,000. Well, And if I were to have a kid, which I do, it's one out of how many the person I'm mating with. Right. So if the person I'm mating with also has dwarfism, the chances are way higher and it's way more of a risk factor. If it's a normal sized person like my baby mama is, baby mama, I get to say that because I'm already Povich, <laughs> it's one out of four. Right. So my child is a little person. Oh, okay. So he, he got the, yes, he got the Ewok. <laughs> he got the Ewok check mark. But if you see that show, the roll-offs, the, the two parents are little people. Mm-hmm. And they have four kids, and only one of those kids is a little person. Right. Which is crazy. Yeah. They both got really lucky. Because, like I said, there's two dominant genes that come together. The baby's too small to survive. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, if you watch the roll-offs, there's, and even the twins on the roll-offs, one's, one's a little person, one's like, you know, six feet tall. And then they have a daughter who's normal and they have a kid who's normal. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of how the genes meet each other and how it happens. DNA's weird. DNA is weird. <laughs> Talk about weird. DNA is weird. Going back to the Coney Island days, those uh, guys that had the lobster hands, mm-hmm. they were called the Grady's. And like all of them were born with lobster hands and lobster feet where their hands were fused together. And it was just genetically in the family. Mm. Well, it's so cool to be able to just talk to you about this stuff because it's not something you can just bring up in normal conversation, you know, like. Hey, you buy, buy me a couple of drinks, I'll probably tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm, I was curious about it too, not yeah. knowing. Because I just grew up just thinking, okay, I was just shorter than other kids. 
and on until I realized that other kids were growing up, mm-hmm. growing. And then I was like, ah, uh, then I was going to the hospital all the time. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, something's going on. Cause I didn't know how else to compare it. Right. Other than what I saw on TV and movies. So I was curious too. I just didn't know the logistics. Right. And then when I found out, I was like, ah, oh, that's boring. I wanted to know, I wanted it to be like a mystery, you know? <laughs> I wanted it to be more of a mystery. Yeah, I, wanted, I don't want more, to know the logistics. Something more interesting, something more fascinating. Yeah, you ruined the secret. You ruined the magic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, so I was always curious too, because my parents were normal. I have three normal, and I I hate that fucking word. Right. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. I mean, when everybody says normal now, I, I feel like that's more offensive than little person. Right. I feel like little person's offensive too. Mm-hmm. Also, when somebody wants to be a real smart ass, be like, oh, you midget or a dwarf? I say, oh, actually, I have Sukhan pleasure. Oh, that'll shut them up. They're like, what? That's not a thing. <laughs> I was like, actually, never mind. You, you must know better than I do. Sorry, I I'm, I fucked up. My bad. I didn't know. I didn't know I could not be one or two. Mm. But they say that's not a thing, and I'm like, all right. Sorry, if I said something the other night at a really formal dinner, and I said. So do our midgets, and the whole table got really quiet. And so I said, you're not supposed to say that. I said, thank you. So do you think <laughs> you're not supposed yeah, to say that? I love that, though. They're not supposed to say what you can say. Yeah. But they said, you're not supposed to say, said, you're not supposed to say that. It makes people uncomfortable. I was like, fuck yourself. You want us to be uncomfortable? Wait till oh. I throw a shot glass at you. <laughs> Wait till I flip this coffee table. You're going to see uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, if it makes people feel uncomfortable when you, especially now, everybody's so PC. Right. Well, I think that it's every person is different. Every person is different on what what makes them comfortable, what makes them offended. It's 100 percent impossible to please everyone. And that's why being true to yourself, being your comfortable self, your true authentic self is so important because. You can't deal with what everybody else is put on you as what expectations are. You can only deal with what your own person is. is. Right. And when you go back to what I was talking about with the confidence of uh, being on stage and stuff like that, like not everybody's got that. And I understand that. Right. And not every little person is running around on stage and be, being able to be themselves. And they still might be stuck in this little buttfuck town. <laughs> the get called names and have to be the the token of the town. And uh, not everybody's got that confidence and not everybody has that outlet. So, yeah, I do understand, well, we got to walk that fine line. Right. Which is, well, which is totally fine. <laughs> Whenever I meet another little person, I just assume that we already have this, like, okay. I'm understanding. Yeah. But sometimes, like, somebody, people just don't want to talk about it or be outgoing or they just want to just be more reserved. And that's just, I can't just assume that they want to just sit around and talk about how they can't reach groceries all day, <laughs> which is what I bitch about all fucking day. <laughs> that's that's my new pickup line. When I meet a tall girl, hey, you like grocery shopping? <laughs> they, sometimes it works. <laughs> you like grocery shopping? Cool, because I need stuff. I can't just assume that 
just because you meet somebody that's got a tattoo that all you want to do is talk about tattoos. It's right. It's just although you know, most people who had tattoos are now most. To talk I mean, about I don't tattoos. know. I was just trying to think of something. <laughs> I was just trying to think of something. Oh, you got blue hair. Okay, let's talk about blue hair. I want to talk about blue hair. I just got to keep that in mind too. That even though I have something common on. That's just genetically. Right. It doesn't mean I have anything personal in common. Right. It doesn't mean anything. Right. <laughs> it doesn't mean shit. I, we, could, we could just stand in the same room and just stare at each other and not, not know what to talk about, just like anybody else. Well, if y'all did that in a box on Coney Island with a, with a window cut I'd out of it, I mean, you get paid money. to do it. So. <laughs> they could be playing fucking whatever they're playing, and I could play... They could put you, be playing chess and I could be playing Game Boy. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And we would have nothing to fucking talk about. <laughs> well, do you have any events coming up that people could come see you at? I do. I occasionally do Sinferno at Dante's, which is every Sunday. Occasionally. Mm-hmm. I have, sometimes I have shows at Afro Gallery, like I said, that is off a of grand. And that is, once again, a non-profit. Mm-hmm. So... Everybody who's in there is in there on their own dime, in their own time. Well, I like that. <laughs> um, Luckily, we recorded it, so if you need to remember it later, it's, it's dime right here. Dime and time. <laughs> yeah. um, and I actually have a show coming up at Raven's Manor on Valentine's Day night. Mm-hmm. So I think that's about it. No, that's great. And I'll post where people can follow you and... And can see the things that you have. You're going to see a lot of pictures of my dog. That's, well, that's I mean, this dog's cute. You're going to so see a lot of pictures of the really dog. Okay, people mm-hmm. might tune in more for that than they will for monkeys throwing. Poop, I'll get but. I'll get six I'll get six hundred <laughs> likes on a picture of him, and like I'll meet like a cool celebrity or be in costume and all proud of it. I'll get like <laughs> thirty five likes. <laughs> So maybe he should have his own Instagram. I don't know. Well, I bet if we voted on that, there would be plenty of people who said yes. Uh, he's going to be the new grumpy cap. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what the money is now. That's right. I'll make sure people have links to everything that you're doing and ways to follow you and follow what you're doing and get in touch with you if they have cool projects. That yeah, they, mostly, uh, mostly it's just Instagram and Facebook. I don't really do the fan page thing anymore. Mm-hmm. So if you got to find me, it's mostly Instagram is a direct way. Just send me a picture of your cute pet too, and we'll we'll talk about our pets, and then friends forever. Then right, <laughs> <laughs> then we'll we'll talk about Ewoks. <laughs> Have a beer, and you'll talk about anything. <laughs> I, I'm easy, super well, easy. <laughs> this was awesome. Very very cool to hear all the things that you got to experience and got to do and stuff. So I forgot about most of them. So. Oh, yeah, this is awesome. So thank you. Thank you so much for, oh, thank for you. being here today. Thanks for kidnapping me. Uh, anytime. If you, <laughs> if you can return me sometimes in the next 24 hours. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Thanks. Just thank drop me off at the church like everybody else does. <laughs> Sounds good. Put a little, put a little fucking... Uh, Three to whoever. Take you to the fire station. <laughs> sure. All right. Perfect. Well, well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. You know, it's funny. I can't believe how my life has come full circle from that faithful trip in 2015. 
Not only is Nick every bit as bizarre and interesting as I thought he would be, but he's also very genuine and cool. Be sure to follow him at the links below to see where he's performing or where his art will be displayed and reach out to him if you'd like to collaborate on a project. In our next episode, see how Jasmine Petit used her experience at the porn store to be the best social worker. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Christine Lassiter with Two Rivers Mortgage. If you're looking for a mortgage in Oregon or Washington, she can certainly hook you up. Just check out the links below. And be sure to like and subscribe to Finding My Own Weird on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen for more weird episodes.